When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester's Red Podcast. I'm your host today, Stephen Railston, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Samuel Luckhurst and Rich Fay. Samuel, how are you? I'm very well, Stephen. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. Feeling good today. And Rich, how's yourself? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a very long week, hasn't it, between games? I know managers complain about fixture congestion around this time of year, but I've got a feeling Ralph Rannick would rather be playing earlier this week than waiting until Monday and having another <laughs> few days of crisis on the cards. 100%, 100%. The more games, the, the better for us journalists and for the fans, I do think. Um, the big news coming out of Manchester United this week is that we'll have a confirmed date for Ed Woodward to leave the club. It's going to be February the 1st and Richard Arnold will take over his position. He'll become his successor um, as the chief executive at Old Trafford. Samuel, um, you could probably talk about this for a good half an hour, but I know it's probably not good. But what do you think Ed Woodward's legacy is at United? Failure. As the banner said at Burnley in 2018, I think it was, just after that transfer window. And, and Woodward's not deluded either. He, he, he definitely considers his, his time running the club to be a failure. Uh, I, think, I think he can look at his time now in, um, a bit more, with a bit more frankness because he's, he's practically you know, his, his time up. Uh, although Richard Arnold takes over on February the 1st, you know, this is this is kind of goodbye from from Ed Woodward and I know he's going to be on the football board until the end of June but he can look about he, he can be, he's in reflective mode at the moment or mood I should say and he, he's completely aware that most of um, the decisions he made were were mistakes I think it's quite telling that from his perspective he, he sees the main successes as off the pitch um, not not just the commercial side of things but I think there's, there is genuine pride at the way the club conducted themselves during the first lockdown at the start of the pandemic which is uh, completely justified because they, they were so commendable the way they went about um, you know looking after the community, donations to the community, uh, the, the work they did in terms of um, supporting NHS staff as well, um, helping out local hospitals. I know to a lot of fans, they don't want to hear that, but it, it's, it was extremely important work. And I remember at the time just, just covering United thinking, you know, this, I think it felt at the time speaking to some time serve fans as though they felt an attachment back with, with the club at that point. Unfortunately, you had the treachery of the Super League, which undid all that good work. And quite deliberately, in my piece yesterday, I, I omitted any mention of the Super League stuff because I just don't believe that he was against it. Um, that there are some who are happy to, um, to 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 have that information in their pieces, and you, you get it told at face value. But when that stuff was coming out in April about how he couldn't support it, so that's why he resigned. Uh, I just find it utterly unbelievable. I will, not, not one part of me will, will ever believe that. So he, his his legacy is tarnished by a number of things. Um, the the recruitment 
he insists is the main reason why his time has been a failure. And I think you look at other clubs, if, if their recruitment is good, they, they're going to be successful. If it's not good, they're not going to be successful. And United have had, I mean, the hit rate has been dreadful over the last eight and a half years or however long it's been since Woodward took over. Right from the start with that 2013 window when you were probably still at primary school, Stephen. <laughs> uh, but literally that, that time was just chaos. The fact that they didn't think the squad needed much retooling, as Woodward said at the time. They were led down the garden path by Cesc Fabregas. You had them bidding, outbidding Real Madrid pointlessly for Gareth Bale when just the most Jewish, the Jewish of due diligence, if you can put it that way, you'd have discovered that Bale had no intention of going to United. He just wanted to join Real Madrid. And then on deadline day, you had the Herrera thing. Um, I, I remember my friend at the time, uh, my flatmate, he said, he went to bed and Fellaini wasn't going to Everton and, sorry, wasn't going to United and, and Quintrell was going to United. And he woke up to find that Fellaini had actually joined United and the Quintrell deal hadn't collapsed. Uh, there, there were deals, sorry, bids for Kadira, De Rossi, on deadline day that came to nothing. And then five years later, they came full circle in that very, very fraught summer under Mourinho when, I mean, for, it, it was being on that tour, it was just it was just car crash stuff and you had Woodward chasing after him in the mix zone in Miami, um, not giving Mourinho the face time that Mourinho wanted, not giving him the centre-back that he wanted, vetoing centre-back recommendations that went on to win... Champions League or went on to help Manchester City win the Premier League and were named PFA Player of the Year. It's interesting at the moment, actually, that there seems from a lot of United fans looking at online anyway, a lot of revisionism with Mourinho because of how how badly it's going at the moment, how these egos at the club, these players who've been empowered just aren't cutting it and they've not been cutting it for a long time. And of course, United sided with a number of those players over Mourinho and then they brought in a manager who was just a soft touch. Uh, I mean, Woodward maintains that if you go back to August and when United had won a couple of games and were top of the league and had made some good signings in the summer, you and he was entitled to be positive about the season. And, and he was, he said in September, he'd, been, he'd never been more confident of success. But you knew, well, we knew anyway, that they weren't going to do anything under Solskjaer because although they had the players to be successful they never ever had the manager and that it's you know I, I thought at the time sacking Mourinho was going to set them back three years that's proven to be the case they're not in that situation in, in sacking Solskjaer if anything you, you're more liable to make progress within the next three years I mean some United fans are still in denial over it but even in uh, press lounges at stadiums you speak to some of the Norwegian reporters and I, I said to one, oh, you know, maybe, maybe Solskjaer will take over the national side uh, as, as coach of the national team. And he said, oh, no, 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 uh, Stalis Olbakken is a much better manager. This is a Norwegian talking about Stalis Olbakken, who I think got relegated or certainly taken Wolves down about 10 years ago. And another Norwegian reporter said the, the manager at Christiansund is, is regarded as a better manager than Solskjaer. Uh, th this is coming from Norwegian reporters you imagine would be quite sympathetic to Solskjaer, but they weren't. They were quite lucid to his limitations as a manager. Um, so as you said, you could you could speak so much about Woodward's time. And I think he, he what still rankles with him quite a lot is the recruitment under Louis van Gaal. Uh, when they signed, I think it was 11 players, spent well over 
200 million pounds, probably closer to, to 300 million pounds. And the successes from that time, I mean, the, the biggest success might have been Sergio Romero, who of course was a backup goalkeeper. And, and it was unusual of Woodward, you know, from what I was told that he was actually scathing of, he, he actually named names in terms of the, the players he was scathing about. And the, the two that were mentioned were Morgan Schneidlin and, and Daley Blind. Blind, I find a surprise because I thought he was a re- relatively decent player for United. And um, although he's playing in the wrong position at, from time to time, and maybe he, he shouldn't have been as reg- regular as regular as he was, he was still a pretty good player for them. But they felt burnt by the hit rate under Van Gaal. Um, that embol- that made their minds up that going ahead, if a manager wanted to sign a player that the club were not convinced they should sign they had a right to veto that player, which was what happened under Mourinho. And he's just about the worst manager you can you can do that under because you know what you're going to get when it happens. It's all going to kick off and the manager's going to end up getting sacked halfway through the season, which which is exactly what happened. Um, I suppose the high, the high point would be the Europa League win uh, because that made that season successful. It was two trophies. It was qualification back into the Champions League. It was winning a trophy they'd never won before. And it was a very emotionally charged evening in Stockholm after the barbaric attack at, at the Manchester Arena two nights previously. Um, in terms of a personal highlight covering United during Woodward's time, the, the Cup semi-final in 2016 sticks out. Pro- probably just a highlight in, in covering um, football, covering United, when, when Marshall scored that that late winner and you had supporters flooding the press box singing the, the Anthony Marshall song. And uh, you know, the moments like that, it felt like there was a, a purity about United. But unfortunately, the, the commercial side of it just rode roughshod over the football side. And, and Woodward very much regrets that quote when he said that uh, playing performance doesn't affect what they can do on the commercial side. Um, I think after he said that, the script changed. The new director of communications came in and had it so that he wouldn't actually speak on commercial matters. Richard Arnold would be the one who was effectively thrown under a bus and would you know, jabber on about the app and all that guff that just winds up fans to high heaven. Um, so th- I, I don't agree with some of the takes on Woodward that he wasn't to blame. If you look at United's malaise since Ferguson retired, and, and there were problems there from Ferguson's time, a lack of investment. There was no structure in place because Ferguson didn't feel as though he needed structure. But Ferguson certainly did take his eye off the ball. Um, you know, the last two title wins, there were massive. There was massive mitigation be, behind both of those triumphs in terms of a lack of a credible contender um, or, or challenger for United in those seasons. But ultimately. <laughs> You look at Woodward's decision-making, he got so many wrong. He got very few right. The one manager that he did get it right with, he then didn't back him when he deserved to be backed when they were looking to push for the title the next season. So he certainly won't be missed by the supporters. And um, with with Richard Arnold, uh, you, you wonder how much will change because even though he's he's coming into it with his eyes open because of what's what's happened to his mate over the last eight and a half years, um, people at the club accept that his background in investment banking is not an ideal starting point. And I think the best thing that he can do is not get involved in football matters whatsoever. It's just a case of leave the running of the football club to the football people. And then just, if, if he needs to sanction something, get on the phone to Tampa and speak to Joel Glazer. 
that's a lovely little segue into my next point, Rich, from Samuel. And I just laughed when Samuel said Arnold was thrown under the bus because if he was thrown under the bus, he's crawled back under from uh, underneath it to emerge as the chief executive. Obviously, Woodward was the executive vice chairman. Samuel's just kind of alluded to it there. Um, he doesn't think there will be much difference. Both friends, both Bristol University graduates. Would you agree with that point in your opinion? And what do you think we can expect from Arnold across the next few years? Um, like Samuel said there, like you've said as well, more of the same, but they try and market it differently and say that something has changed. I mean, like you said, there's got to be that clear difference between him being in charge of sort of commercial matters and football matters, because that was part of the problem with Woodward. It was those blurred lines. It wasn't until later in his tenure that they tried to sort of take him away from the transfer side. I mean, whenever you go on social media, fans are always blaming Woodward for a transfer not going well, or maybe sometimes they're praising him if they got a player they wanted. And, you know, that was never really his remit anyway, and it shouldn't have been his remit. And in terms of what Richard Arnold comes in and does, from United's point of view, they will probably still argue that Woodward was to a degree a success because, like you say, they always hammer on about the app. They hammer on about having page views. They hammer on about having the most engaged transfer tweets of all time and all that sort of crap that no one cares about. Alexis Sanchez unveiling was meant to be a success because he's playing the piano on Old Trafford and everyone was tweeting about it, so it must be good. And that just sort of sums United up. They don't value football achievements as highly as they do sort of commercial achievements. And for me, I think that will still continue to be maybe a problem under Richard Arnold. And I know there was always fans dreaming of someone like Edwin van der Sar coming into that role, but that was never going to be the case. Um, the last three men to occupy the role have all been internal appointments. You think of Peter Kenyon, David Gill, Edward Wood, and now you've got Richard Arnold as well. So it was never going to be anyone from, from outside the, the business really already who was going to come yeah. in and, and take this role. And, you know, that, that was just fanciful dreaming from the from some supporters and maybe we're just looking at it from the sort of video game point of view where you go and get a big name and everything's okay, get all okay again. You get Amanda Sarin and suddenly you're playing like Ajax and you've got Ten Hag as manager and yeah, you're winning the European Cup or whatever. It, it doesn't doesn't work like that. So in terms of what Arnold does, like, like we said previously, he comes from this commercial background, you know, he was charged when he came to the club in 2007, 2008, I believe, as, as the commercial director responsible for growing the sponsorship side of it, the retail, merchandising, the apparel and, you know, the product licensing business. I think it was it was officially sort of labelled. And like you said, he's a key ally of Ed, key ally of Ed Woodward. He might have some different ideas. He might go about it a different way. Hopefully he'll be savvy enough to, like you say, distance himself from the footballing matters and say, that's not my that's not my business. Yeah, I can maybe take the credit for it when it goes well, but just don't get involved. Don't put yourself in, in the firing line, really. So to be honest, and in short, I don't expect much to change, but it might be perceived that something has changed just because he'll be maybe a quieter name behind the scenes than Ed Woodward was. Yeah. Back on the pitch then, Samuel, obviously United have been reeling from that 1-0 um, defeat to Wolves at Old Trafford. It was a miserable performance, one that probably wasn't surprising um, after weeks of kind of no real improvement under Ralph Ranjik. Um, You wrote a piece this week about the players, I think the line was sick to death of the, the falling standard, you can correct us if I'm wrong. But do you think it's a storm in a teacup or do you think, uh, how can you interpret the mood in the dressing room at the moment? Is it going to improve? What would you put your finger on? This always happens when things aren't going well and performances are bad. The negativity seeps out and, and United are quite relaxed is maybe the wrong word, but there's an element of 
you know, just you know, what's what's the big deal really? This this is what happens. They're they're very you know, they're, they're quite accustomed to it from the last eight and a half years. And and in June Ferguson's time, there were some major crises that that happened, and that was long after they'd had that breakthrough title in 1993. So this this comes with the territory. Um, there are a lot of dissatisfied players there because there are a lot of players there that want to leave, but. I think some some aspects of it have maybe been overstated this week in that you know it's it's clear which players want to leave. The the out of contract players want to leave because they've not signed a contract and because they're not playing. Um in Paul Pogba's case, you know he wants to leave because he said so in twenty nineteen and it's it was four years ago that his agent was trying to hawk him to to Manchester City and, and Pogba has never denied that as well. So it, it makes you know, it's, it's it's obviously logical for Pogba to want out. He turns 29 in March. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him wanting out. It, it makes sense for him to leave. It what would not make sense if United were to try and make an 11th hour attempt to to keep him. They just need to clear the decks there. With other players, uh, Dean Henderson needs minutes. That there's the mitigation of of him contracting COVID in July, which not just scuppered his. Um, the likelihood of him starting the season, but it's wiped off six months of his career because he wasn't going to go out on loan. And I suspect if he was fit, given the way Solskjaer badly handled that goalkeeping dynamic, he probably wouldn't have gone on loan either, even though Solskjaer said it was um, an unsustainable dynamic because Solskjaer was was a soft touch. With, with the goalkeeping situation, he was dependent on a lady giving birth um, and and a virus to make his mind up as to who was going to start in goal. Because that's that's the only reason why Henson got that run in the team in March. It was because De Gea went on, on paternity leave and then De Gea got back in the team at the start of the season because Henson had COVID. Beyond Henderson, Eric Bailly, that, that contract should not have happened last summer. You could see that happening. Like When, when was he going to start this season outright? Just hasn't happened, just won't happen. It's kind of pointless talking about buying in a way at the moment because he's on AFCON duty, so he's never going to leave this this month. Um, Phil Jones all of a sudden has become rather important for United because he was, as the picture showed on Monday night, he was head and shoulders above all of his teammates, literally, and, and in, with his performance. And that's that's a credit to him after going 708 days without playing a game. But nobody's getting fooled into thinking that he's he's got a future at United. It, it, it makes sense. It still probably makes sense for him to go this month, but he probably won't because he's fourth fourth choice centre back at the moment. Van der Beek wanted out in the summer as well. Um, he, was, he was prepared to go on loan to Everton. Marshall's agent has been very vocal about him wanting out and Rangnick has said the, the player did speak to him and, and said that he wanted to leave as well. So f- from United's perspective, when, when players are running down their contracts and it's very obvious that players want to leave, unless you are winning and winning well, that that negativity is is going to get out there. Um, and in terms of the dressing room, I mean, it's, it's been it's been apparent for a while that there are cliques there, but I think there are, the cliques and dressing room is dressing rooms is is nothing new. It becomes a problem. It always seems when the team aren't doing well. Um, so I, I think maybe that's been been overstated. Like if if you were put in a dressing room, the chances are that you'd gravitate to one of the uh, UK-born early twenty-somethings because that's just the way it works. When Fernandez joined United, he gravitated towards Fred and Diego Dallo because they're Portuguese speakers. Uh, De Gea and Mata are very very friendly because they're Spanish. Uh, 
Maguire's English, so he gets on pretty well with Luke Shaw and Dean Henderson um, because they're, they're in the England camp as well. Uh, I, I, Rashford and, and Lingard have been mates because they're academy graduates and, and local lads as well. I, I don't think those cliques are necessarily unhealthy. Um, you know, the, the more multicultural one, I suppose, is is Pogba's very friendly with Lindelof and Mata and, and Andres Pereira, but that's because they're neighbours in Hale. So I, I think that's overstated. I don't think... I think trying to force people just have a meal with each other so that everyone can just just for the sake of it is is pretty pointless really. Um, you know, I, I don't see it as a particularly toxic atmosphere. I see the, the main problem is, is that these players have been empowered to think that they're better than they are. But if you just look at what they've done or what they've not done in recent years, it doesn't stack up. So the next manager who comes in or coach has to have has to be authoritative and they've tried that with Rangnick but ultimately if if things aren't going well and apart from that that Crystal Palace game and really it was only only the first half where you thought Christ United look unrecognisable from what what they've been playing like um, previously this season they've it's been the same old you've had De Gea bailing them out in games uh, you've you've had Ronaldo scoring the odd winner as well but the moment they came up against a, a pretty good side with um, tactical originality they came a cropper and Wolves Wolves were brilliant they, it would have been an absolute travesty if Fernandes had scored that late free kick and and nicked a point there so uh, th- this thing these things happen uh, I remember at the start of Mourinho's reign they lost they lost a few games on the spin and uh, there, were, there were stories about um, players being uh, a little bit surprised by his treatment of Luke Shaw I don't think anybody was really surprised if they remembered his, his meeting with Shaw when when Mourinho was Chelsea manager a couple of years before then. So the only way to arrest it is to is to play well and, and get results. But Monday's an interesting one because it's it's got the jeopardy of, of a cup tie. And thankfully, uh, there's there's no replays, but the, the downside is that it could go to extra time. Yeah. Me and Rich were texting during that game, actually, the Wolves game, and I predicted 1-0 before the game. And we were laughing, saying it would be typical United yeah. to, get a, to get a fortunate result that I didn't yeah. deserve. I said, I, said it at, I said it at half-time, I said I could, because Wolves hadn't scored, I said I could see United just eking out a 1-0 yeah. here. And um, they might have done that if, if Fernandes had put the ball under the crossbar. But but Wolves were, were excellent. And it's, it's not the first time they've impressed at, at Old Trafford in recent years either. Richard, for delving the transfer business a little bit deeper, then obviously Samuel's mentioned them names that aren't happy. It would probably be a surprise if they were happy, considering the circumstances. Um, are any exits reali- realistic, do you think? And also incomes as well. I know you did a line on um, Alvarez in, in United's stance on that. So what's your take on the transfer business in this window? Well, I guess, like as everyone knows, really, I mean, Ralph Ranick said himself, didn't he, that it's very difficult to buy a player who's the right sort of fit for a good price midway for a season. That's even harder during a pandemic where teams are in no real rush to sell players because having to replace them themselves is a problem. You've got the COVID issues as well. So squad depth is being really pushed to the limits. And that's why United seems so reluctant, really, to to get rid of some of the players who should be leaving. Um, like we said, Anthony Marshall maybe is the exception because... Oddly enough, there seem to be teams who actually want to buy him. Um, I'm not sure if they've actually watched him play in the last two years or, or whatever. But, um, you know, he's he's a player who just doesn't have a role at United anyway. Um, he didn't really have a role to play so much last season. And then when you bring in Sancho and you bring in Ronaldo, he's, you know, dilapidated even more. You, you don't need him. The other issue as well with Marshall is that United's sort of best 
young talents are all in attacking positions as well. And there is that sort of that view, certainly from fans, that people like Marshall and I think to a degree Lingard, but he's got more lenience because he's actually played well this season, although he's not played enough football at all. You know, there's that that belief that they're that the sort of fringe players are taking up a spot which a youth player could be fulfilling. And I think that's the same as well, like Samuel said, in terms of Eric Bailly, someone who won't be leaving this month really because of the AFCON. It would have been nice to see Tenemengi involved a bit more. Instead, he's gone on loan to Birmingham. And yeah, there'll be lots of activity at, at youth level. We've seen Ethan Laird go out to Bournemouth as well. And, and you know, that's a better package for United. And it seems a better package for the player as well. So in terms of players who could actually leave, Anthony Marshall seems the one who's who's definitely going to leave, really. But in terms of everyone else, I mean, Van der Beek and Cavani have both been told and Ranić said on record that he wants to keep them both, you know. And it just sort of... United are just like a toddler who isn't playing with his toys, but then as soon as someone else wants them, they're like, no, we still want him, actually. We still want to have him here for no point whatsoever. They just need to be ruthless. But the pandemic has given them that excuse to not be because they can now say, well, we need to keep you just in case if someone goes down for a week and a half whatever and needs to isolate they could miss two or three games so we need to keep you they're just trying to keep everyone on side and they're trying to spin far too many plates and that's why so many people are unhappy at the club like Samuel said it's not a surprise who is unhappy because you know it's, it's not really new news it's just all sort of been regurgitated again at the same time and the names pile up and it gets to an alarming number really of players who are unhappy but that all makes sense so Marshall's the only one I, I can personally sort of see at, at senior level leaving this month. Um, Ahmad, he's not gone to AFCON. Expect him to go on loan. Of course, he's meant to go out to Feyenoord to start the season. That didn't didn't happen. Um, like Samuel said, Van der Beek, Cavani, Henderson will all be kept against their will, you know, to stay as hostages until the summer, basically. Um, youth level, you'll get some, some more exits. In terms of players coming in, again, it's so much mitigation. It's so difficult to buy this month. And again, in terms of getting someone who they deem is is the right fit and not just the right fit now, but someone who would be the right fit no matter who comes in as permanent manager. You, you, know, you need someone who's just undeniably got that quality and probably can play in two or probably two positions, can fit a couple of tactical styles just in case a new manager comes in and wants to go about it in a new way as well. And yeah, like I said, Julian Alvarez as well. The news is that it's very much agent speak. There's no interest whatsoever from United at the moment in, in signing him. We see it all the time. Every window, a player who United supposedly want then moves to sort of a, I don't know how to describe them, just a, a sort of a more sort of Europa League tier European club, shall we say, or they get a new contract where they are. And the other thing with Alvarez, he's out of contract in December and he wants to go to the World Cup of Argentina. So they need to get his, his future decided as soon as possible. So sometimes with these rumours, you've just got to take a step back, read between the lines and realise that particularly someone like Alvarez, who's been linked with Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich, Inter <laughs> and AC Milan just this week, saying he's going to United is just a red herring. Was was that that was inflamed at the weekend by a fake account, wasn't it? As well, yeah, saying I'm that he's got about. a meeting after the Wolves game. Yeah, which is, his yeah, agents just coming across to Europe to try and tout into any team who's who's going to bite, really. But it's you see it every single year. It's just incessant reporting in, in the hope that something will happen, really. And the only two sort of areas that's come from is South America, where he's based anyway. There's interest in him getting the move, like I said, to the World Cup at the end of the year, and Italy because. It's believed that the two Milan clubs do have an active interest in him. They've both got records of signing sort of players from South America anyway. And, you know, if that move's not progressing as quickly as they want, just say United want them as well and something will happen, won't it? 
Yeah, it's all tricks by his agent, isn't it? We've saw it all before. It's nothing new. Nature of the beast. Um, Samuel, on the, like as I say, back on the pitch on Monday, United welcome Aston Villa to Old Trafford in the FA Cup. Personnel-wise for that game, obviously we've touched on Phil Jones and how impressive he was in his comeback. Long term, he's probably not going to beat United, let's face it. However, would you start him against, uh, against Villa on Monday? I probably would. Uh, and then looking ahead to the Villa away game, go with... Lindelof and Varane, um, Maguire should have been dropped by now and it, it shouldn't have taken uh, an injury to him and COVID to Lindelof and by being away with the Ivory Coast for it, for him to have been taken out of the side. Uh, I, I don't think he should be restored next week for that league game, regardless of, of what the situation is at, at centre-back, unless United are reduced to, to two options again. You'd, you'd imagine Lindelof will be um, be available. We're, we're recording this before before the press conference on Friday, so it's not been confirmed yet. And by the looks of things, I think United have had to scale back on media activity at Carrington because of the recent COVID outbreak. So the only pe- the only personnel there are are essential. Um, it happened when it reopened following the lockdown in 2020. I mean, I think pictures were being taken by by the press officer on, on her iPhone. So um, it's a bit vague in terms of the who's training and who's not training at the moment. But I, I think Jones merited, merits another another go. Um, I suppose that, that would be the, the ultimate test in a way that if he can repeat the performance from from Monday night if he can come up with another one a week later and then maybe he has to be taken into consideration for, for the game at Villa Park on, on the Saturday of next week. I think Pogba is, is going off Rang, Rangnick's time frame and I'm inclined to believe Rangnick's Pogba injury time frames more than, than Solskjaer's because I mean Solskjaer's could have been delivered by Dr Nick and the Simpsons but Pogba could certainly be in contention to play next week. And the way that midfield is at the moment, he probably walks back into it, even though United have only got possibly four more months of him. So there's some sense in in maximising Pogba. Uh, I'm not sure that 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 formation is is conducive to his strengths. I'm not sure it's conducive to, to many of those players' strengths, really. And that, that I suppose that would be the most fascinating thing about the team that Rangnick picked. It's whether he actually sticks with the 4-2-2-2 formation that Wolves, I wouldn't say Wolves rumbled it. I'd say Newcastle or Norwich rumbled it, really, because both of them um, were unlucky not to have, have beaten United last month. But it's, it's one of those games that mass rotation, it feels, seems inevitable. But this this is a cup that United have a realistic chance of winning. And I think it would maybe be ill-advised to take everyone, every big, every big hitter out of the team just for the sake of it. Villa are bound to rotate as well. Um, but sometimes I just don't get where, I don't get the thought process of clubs and, and who aren't in Europe and mm. they've got pretty big squads as well. And, and Villa have got a big squad. They, they spent a lot of money in the summer as well. It would be counterproductive for them to, you know, kind of toss it off in the FA Cup when I don't think they've won a trophy since it must be the League Cup in 1996, I think it was. Um, so it, it might be more of a, um, I hesitate to say spectacle, but more of a contest than than these games usually are. If if it's normally United at home, the FA Cup third round, unless they're coming up against one of the the elite in the Premier League, it tends it tends to be a foregone conclusion, but. Villa won at Old Trafford earlier in the season and 
everyone can scent blood coming up against United at the moment. Rich, you're going to agree with me here. And we're going to see Donny van der Beek has to start on Monday, doesn't he? He has to, surely. Hashtag free Donny. You just mentioned uh, he was in... No, you're not in your opinion. Go on then, take it away. I was thinking of 4-3-3 with Donny in the middle. What do you think? I, like I said, I think that most supporters would agree with that. And again, it does seem to a degree. I know that Donny van der Beek's not always performed when he's had a chance, but he does still sort of represent somewhat of an untapped sort of player at the moment it does feel like he's not had quite the fair opportunity but to be honest like you said that, that's what we want to see really because Raniak as well I know he's not in it for the long run anyway in terms of being a permanent manager he's only here to the end of the season but after the week he's had he needs to do himself a favour really and one easy way to win a section of supporters over is by giving these players that fans want to see a fair opportunity we've already seen in the past few weeks what okay maybe their stocks dwindled a little bit but Allo and Tellez, even Sancho, we've seen that they were sort of untapped players who Solskjaer just didn't use properly. And Donny van der Beek still fits into that category. I don't think he is this magic wand dancer that lots of people think he is. But like you said, he's got to get a chance soon enough. And that game against Villa has to be an opportunity for him to do it. United midfield has been a problem all season. It's just crying out for, for him to actually get a game. And again, the, the problem from United fans' point of view it's not necessarily that Van der Beek's being overlooked, but it's that it's still a question mark next to him. Fans don't actually know quite how good he is. Okay, he's not lived up to the, the hype and the potential, still don't quite know what role he is, but it does just feel like he's got more to give and he's not had the opportunity for it. So like you said, I think there should be a few changes, but of course you've got to get that balance right. And if you look at the FA Cup last season, I do actually think those first two rounds that Solskjaer oversaw, the Watford win, the Liverpool win, he did get his rotation quite well you know he changed a few players for each of them Watford were, were he could change more players that made more sense I think Twanzebi started Juan Mata started that game you know McTominay scored the winner the Liverpool game there was a bit more of a, a stronger sort of feel to it but there's still some players coming in who who'd been on the periphery so I think it's about striking that balance but I just think from Ranić's point of view like you said just start Van der Beek because then you win some fans over and then at the uh, full time then the narrative can be the narrative isn't Raniak failed to choose these players. It's these players failed to live up to expectation. And the blame can go on the players then rather than the manager. So, like I said, we're not managers, but if I was, I would just, I would just maybe give the fans what they want to a degree for that game because it just eases the pressure on yourself. And if Donny van der Beek can't do it at home to Aston Villa in the FA Cup, he's never going to do it. So, yeah, I'd almost give it that ultimatum to the player and I'd have a few changes like that. If I was Ryan Reynolds, Rich, I'd give you the Wrexham job as manager. Thank you very much. Well, let's open to positive result for United fans on Monday night. Um, they deserve a cup run. It's, it's been a hard few years. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Um, Samuel, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. I'll let Luke Edwards know that you've just uh, uttered his hashtag on a, on a podcast as well. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear that. He'll love that. It was trending last night. I did see it. And Rich, thanks <laughs> for your time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, here's to a, another chaotic week reporting on Man United. Wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and thanks for listening as usual. Take care.